Welcome to the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast, where we bring on exceptional sales leaders to dig into their stories and experiences, get their advice, and most importantly, learn what it means to them to be an authentic sales leader. I'm your host, Jeff Kerchick, and I suggest you grab a notebook and a pen, as every episode is packed with their wisdom and knowledge. I'm joined by a very special guest. Uh, he's done all sorts of things. He's a jack of all trades. He's a former sales leader. He's written a couple of award-winning sales books, uh, The Transparency Sale and The Transparent Sales Leader. And these days, he does a lot of uh, keynote speaking. He uh, comes in and, and coaches uh, organizations and their reps and speaks to teams and helps them upskill. Um, so he's, he's kind of all over the place doing all sorts of really interesting things in the world of sales. Todd Capone, uh, thank you for being here with us today. How are you? Yeah, dude, I don't know how this happened. Um, I, I've always joked that like I was a B, B plus sales rep. Like I don't think I was the best, but I always knew my jam was the coaching and leading and teaching. And I've always been a nerd for parts of that. Like I don't know where it came from, but like I've always been so interested in like decision science and learning theory and process and all that kind of stuff. So you spent a bunch of years as a rep. I had a couple of great years, um, but I knew like I wasn't waking up in the morning really inspired. In 2003, like a crazy person, I quit my job and I bought a sales training company. And uh, three years later, I had run that completely into the ground, went back into the sales world, uh, moved my way up in the leadership. I've had but like seven different revenue leadership roles, three different exits. Uh, but my nerdery always won and uh, kind of led me to writing the books and doing what I'm doing today. So that's a little bit about the background. But um, man, yeah, it's always been leading and coaching has always been more inspirational intrinsically for me than being on the front line. And, you know, as a fellow author, I'm always interested in connecting with folks like yourself um, because I, I always want to know where the inspiration comes from. So you wrote a book, you know, Transparency Sale which won several awards. And then uh, you follow that up with a more recent book called The Transparent Sales Leader. Um, I think it's easy. Uh, I, I think it's obvious that transparency is a topic that you value. Um, how did you get inspired to write about that topic specifically? So my last role, I was the chief revenue officer of a company here in Chicago called Power Reviews. And you probably guessed from the name, we were in the review space. And Everybody listening, you've probably interacted with the technology and not even known it. Uh, like if you're on Crocs.com or Vineyard Vines or Jet or like a thousand other retailers and brands, when you go to the website and you look at a product, you scroll down, there's reviews. There's an engine behind that. And it was ours that did it for all of these retailers that does the collect and display of the reviews in the background. Well, with that in mind, totally innocently and nothing to do with this. I uh, like our company, we um, ended up with Northwestern University engaged in a research study that was simply looking at the research around when a website is acting as a salesperson, what do people do, right? They show up for your website. What do they do? Well, there was three data points that were specific to what I talk about here, two of which changed my life like it only happened to a lunatic. Um, so the, the three though, the first one that didn't change my life is that we all read reviews today, right? Like no surprise there. Uh, it was 96% of us. It's now up to 99%. When we're buying something we haven't bought before, we read the reviews first. So no surprise. But the two data points that changed my life, number one, 
was that almost all of us go to the negative reviews first, right? So we'll skip the five stars and go right to the fours, threes, twos, and ones. Like, oh, that's interesting. Like I do that. All right. And then the last data point was that on a five-star scale, and this is across all product categories, some skew higher, some skew lower, but the optimal average review score for purchase conversion is between a 4.2 and a 4.5, meaning that a product that has negative reviews right under it sells better than a product that has nothing but perfect five-star reviews. As a matter of fact, a product that has nothing but five-star reviews sells at about the same conversion rate as a product that has an average review score of a 3.25, which isn't very good, right? So I looked at that and I was like, wait, all right. When left to our own devices, when a website's acting as a salesperson, we as human beings are drawn to the negative. We actually need the negative to convert. Why does that happen? And does it apply to human to human or B2B selling? I found the answers and they all screamed yes, right? That this idea that our brains, us as human beings, we're prediction machines, right? We're trying to predict. That's when we make a purchase, we're trying to predict. We don't buy when we're convinced. We buy when we can predict. We know subconsciously that perfection does not exist. And if all we're hearing is perfection, our brains can't trigger a prediction and thus can't trigger a purchase decision. We need the negative. And when we get it first, that's when trust in everything else we hear goes up. So the conversion speeds up. And so I looked at that and we looked across everything that we did and thought, gosh, as salespeople and human to human, are we not presenting our solutions as being perfect? Is our website not filled with case studies of perfection and five-star speak? Are we actually making it harder? And this idea of transparency is going in and embracing what you give up to be great at your core, embracing what might not be a good fit, what a competitor does better, why your price is as high as it is. And if that's going to be a problem, let's address that now before we get too deep into it. When we started doing this, all the magic started happening too. Sales cycle sped up. We won much more often. We qualified in better. We lost deals we were going to lose anyway faster. And we made it harder for our competitors to message against us. We became Chicago's fastest growing tech company from 2014 to 2017. And it was all around this idea of transparency sells better than perfection. And because of the proliferation of reviews and feedback on everything we do buy and experience today, we got to do it anyway. And that led me to, hey, feels pretty good. It's working. I want to get these ideas out there. And like a crazy person, quit my job, wrote a book, and uh, the rest is history. But that's that's the inspiration, right? It started with an innocent research study around website consumer behavior and led me down this rabbit hole of, hey, when we lead with our imperfections, we build trust, all kinds of magic happens. And if the truth won't sell it, don't sell it anyway, right? That's what we should be doing. Well, it works better anyway. I, lo I love that story. It's a really very counterintuitive, not something anyone would really expect. Um, it reminds me of like some, you know, sometimes I would tell people that I would start out like a demo or a sales presentation by telling the customer what we can't do. Um, and people would always think that I was crazy. And to your point, it's like, well, now they're going to believe me, you know, everything I say, because now it's more credible, right? Um, so I really love that. I think that's a, it's a really important takeaway for people. Um, 
you know, for me, like I, I've written about authenticity and I think transparency is related, be, you know, because to some degree, like the more transparent you are, the more honest you're being about you know, how you present yourself. How do you see that relationship? You know, what do you think is the relationship between transparency and authenticity? How are they similar? How are they different? Yeah, you know, I don't know if you know this about me, Jeff, but like um, when cool people are doing cool things on the weekends, I'm reading late 1800s, early 1900s books and magazines on sales and sales leadership. Like I've got, I just got a new stack of books. These are like 1940s books. But the reason I bring that up is, you know, I think they're related, but completely opposite. They're not opposite, but they're, they, they're not the same, right? They're related, but not the same. And I have a bit of a rant that I go on about authenticity in that, you know, when you look at the early 1900s, you know, the sales profession was actually trusted, respected, admired. It was taught at every university in the early 1900s. It was actually taught at high schools, like the Boston Public High Schools in Pennsylvania, like Erie, Pennsylvania had like a famous high school sales course. Why? Because there was demand for it, right? When there's demand that they supply it. In 1916, at the World Sales Congress in Detroit, Michigan, 3,000 salespeople from around the country got together. The keynote speaker was then President Woodrow Wilson. Like, imagine that about a conference today. It was a trusted, respected, and admired profession. Part of it was that I think that foundationally, authenticity reigned, meaning that every time you had to go sell something, you didn't have telephones, you didn't have email. You had to walk into somebody's office and look them eye to eye and be a human being and shake their hand and sit down. And you couldn't help but want to experience their outcomes with them and experience true empathy. That's why sales was trusted because sales was viewed as a service profession back then. I'm a believer that the technologies that came out, like we say we're in a technology revolution today, right? The technology filling every remaining crevice in the sales profession. Salespeople ruined it, right? That's not a good thing. If you look back like this phone for anybody that's watching and not listening, I have a phone in my office. It's a refurbished 1908 phone from the Swedish American company. I have it up there as a representation of when there was truly a tech revolution that took place. When Alexander Graham Bell invented the first telephone call or, or made the first telephone call in 1876, by the 1910s, it had revolutionized outreach, right? And by the 1920s and 1930s, it became pervasive. And you know what also happened in the 1930s? Perception of sales started to go down to where in the 1950s and 1960s, nobody wanted to be in sales. Uh, companies would go to colleges to recruit college graduates and the college graduates wouldn't even show up for interviews. They would have rather been unemployed than be in sales. And sales was not taught anywhere anymore. Why? Because technologies have caused us to lose our, like our feel, our look into the eyes and hearts of the individuals that we sell to. We forgot that there's a human being on the other end of the phone, on the, end of the other end of the email, on the other end of the LinkedIn uh, connection requests. And as a result, we started focusing on our own activities, our own numbers, and we lost that authentic human empathetic view for, hey, my role is to provide a service to you and my goal is to help you achieve your outcomes and maybe achieve outcomes you never thought were possible. I believe that that's 
the heart of authenticity and why a book like yours is so important is that we've forgotten that it's human beings that we're interacting with. That's separate from transparency. Transparency is helping the customer predict. Authenticity is being a human being sitting across the desk or the email or the Zoom or whatever to another human being and understanding that their outcomes matter. Makes sense. I love that. I love the way that you you uh, you outline that and it's very, very clear for people who are listening. Um, I guess like while we're obviously on this topic of transparency, let's talk a little bit about why is it so important in the sales profession today? And given, you know, the influx of artificial intelligence that's coming into the world of sales, which, you know, has to have an impact on this, how is it evolving, this need for transparency? You know, buyers know more nowadays, of course. And I use those four words very intentionally. Buyers know more nowadays. That's actually a quote from Thomas Herbert Russell's 1912 book, Salesmanship. All right, 1912, there was a worry that the rise of mail order catalogs and advertising would put the sales profession in peril because buyers knew more nowadays and what would they need salespeople for? You actually fast forward to 2015, so just eight years ago, Forrester in their annual state of sales report, they got a report that says by 2020, 1 million B2B sales jobs would go away and hundreds of thousands of college students wouldn't graduate into the profession because buyers knew more nowadays and the rise of e-commerce was a threat to the profession. Now we're looking at AI. In the 1940s, it was tele- like telemarketing. Like There's always been these threats that have injected themselves into the selling profession and put the profession in peril. What I truly believe is going back to when I say sales is the science of service, that's actually a quote from Arthur Sheldon's 1911 book, The Art of Selling, where he says that true salesmanship is the science of service. Grasp that thought firmly and never let go. This profession continued to flourish through the 1910s when Thomas Herbert Russell was worried, through the into the 2020s when Forrester was worried. The opposite happened. In my perspective, more information availability hasn't made it easier on buyers. It's made it harder. And the best salespeople look through the lens of providing a service to customers and doing the homework for them and helping bring new ideas and do the homework, paint the journey for them. That's when the sales profession continues to flourish. Yeah, there's tons of information available to customers, but they can get so lost and buried in it. That's why I believe that when, com- when, when individual salespeople and their companies brand what they give up to be great at their core and they lead with it, they're doing the homework, they're helping the customer to predict, and they're providing a service that can't be found in any technology or AI, which is being a guide, like a true human, authentic guide to the customer. That's how this profession continues to flourish and continues to beat back these technologies. And I think it will again today. And it's part of the reason why transparency is so important to that, because Buyers know more nowadays. They can get at the truth anyway. When we own it, when we lead with it, we build trust. We help speed sales cycles, improve our win rates. And it provides a differentiator because your competitors are not doing this. Yeah, I think we share that perspective. You know, that the idea that it, you know, that these tools that are non-human are kind of entering the space that your humanity or transparency in this case is really uh, a huge differentiator. Um, I think people really grow to understand a lot of these concepts through stories. So 
can you tell us maybe a couple stories of how transparency has helped you not only as like an individual contributor, even in your kind of like your speaking or consulting work, but also as a, a leader? Um, that'd be great. Yeah, well, why don't I'll start with the story that really got me so fired up that my next meeting was with a guy that had written a book because I was like, dude, I got to get these ideas out here. And so here's what happened. Um, when I was the chief revenue officer of Power Reviews, based in Chicago, I had two days of meetings scheduled in New York. And so the plan was fly out morning number one, get there. I had an afternoon chunk meeting. It was like 1 to 3 p.m. or something like that. Then I would have had a 4 o'clock meeting, a dinner, meeting the next morning, fly back. Morning number one, get on the plane, fly there. And this was kind of pre when internet was any good on the plane. So I shut my phone off. I land, turn the phone on. There's messages. Crap. My one o'clock to three o'clock meeting's been canceled. Oh, great. Glad I got up so early. Now I've got from like noon to four available in New York with nothing to do. Had plenty to do. So I grabbed a cab, just going to head to a Starbucks until I could check into my hotel. As I get in the cab, I get a text message from my VP of sales here in the Chicago office saying, dude, we just got an incredible lead in. It's from Calvin Klein, right? So you all are familiar with Calvin Klein. Great opportunity and lead for us. Instead of texting him back, I called him and I was like, hey, dude, tell me about it. Like, what's going on? He's like, well, the lead just came in. Rep reached out, talked to their senior vice president of e-commerce. They're starting their evaluation. They're going to issue an RFP. Like, Yay, great. Everybody loves RFPs. Um, and then, you know, based on the responses, they're going to have us come up to New York and do the presentation and demo and all that kind of stuff in person there. I was like, I forgot they're in New York. Hey, I know this is a one in a hundred shot. Don't put any pressure on the rep. Um, but can you have the rep reach back out to that senior vice president and say that, hey, my CRO is in town, just had his afternoon meeting cancel. If you want to grab coffee or something, it would be a great way to kick this thing off. Like, sure. Rep does it. The guy says yes. So I head over, check in, go up to their offices. This dude was New York in the best way possible, right? Like there's no small talk. He, I walked into his office, smaller Manhattan office, summer's kind of hot. First thing he does is hands me his HDMI cable for the monitor sticking out from the wall. And he's like, hey, you can plug this in for your presentation. And I'm like, I thought, thought we were having coffee, right? Like I... I, my wheels are turning. Like I didn't know what he was talking about. I look to my right and people are wheeling chairs into the office. And it's not just people. It was like seven people. And so we're elbow to elbow in this guy's hot office. There's an expectation, again, a couple hours after the lead came in that I'm giving a presentation. And so I'm fresh on all this data and research. I don't know what I'm going to present. Like I'm frantically like shuffling through my laptop. This dude teased me up perfectly. And he says this. And again, it's just me and eight of them. He says, Todd, started this evaluation. We're looking at your competitor. We're looking at you. How are you better? And like all the eyes in the room are on me. You can see arms go up like, all right, here comes the sales pitch. And I think to myself, this is a perfect time to try this, right? And so my answer was this. He asked, how are you better? I decided to answer by saying, hey, listen, I know this sounds crazy, but can I start with how they're better than us? And there's a reason why I say that. They just released an add-on to their core technology that not only do we not have, but it's not even on our roadmap. Like we hadn't even thought about it. 
And if that's going to be an important consideration in your evaluation, can we vet that now before your team is writing RFPs, we're filling them out, you're reading them, we're flying people around. Like, let's clear that now. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, we hadn't even heard about it. Like, All right. I went into a pitch for the new add-on just based on their press release, really. But as though I work there, like, here's what it does. Here's how it works. Um, here's like what it generates. They start talking. They start asking me questions. You can feel the whole vibe in the room has changed from where it was customer and vendor to now it's a bunch of people sitting at a table trying to figure out the importance of their outcomes, what they're trying to achieve, and whether we're all going to collectively use our time the best way possible. They asked the question like, hey, Todd, if we do think it's important, how would you and your company do it? I'm like, I don't know. They just came out with it yesterday. I haven't even been in the office yet. Like, I don't know. And then they said, Todd, it's not important, not a consideration for us. I'm like, are you sure? It's the first customer on it is the gap, right? In your space, like, be sure. They're like, yeah, we're, we're good. All right, cool. This is why we're great, right? We focus on this. Not all this stuff. We want to be great at this, right? I went into my four, two to four, five speak. 15 minutes later, after having this chat, no slides or anything, it was just the conversation, senior vice president gets up and he's like, hey, have you all heard enough? And they're like, yep, we're good. They all get up, they wheel their chairs out of the room. Next thing he does is what changed my life, really. He pulled a folder from his credenza, opens it up. It says e-commerce budget, fifth line down, said ratings and reviews software and a dollar amount. And he's like, can you hit that? Now, dude, I've been doing this a long time. I never had a buyer show me their budget, especially in the first 15 minutes. And I was like, I'm on to something. 10 days later, I'm in my office. I'm in a meeting. Phone rings. I see on the caller ID, it's Calvin Klein. I'm like, oh, I got to get this. I pick up. It's him calling to tell me that they're not issuing the RFP. Nobody's flying anywhere. They've decided to just move forward with us. And as he discussed it, he told me that he called the competitor first and they immediately went into a pitch for their new add-on and he had to stop them saying, oh, I've already heard all about it. We know it's not on our roadmap, doesn't matter. Power Reviews, the CRO already <laughs> pitched us on it, right? It's like this crazy conversation. Now, for anybody listening, there's a lot of people when I tell that story are like, dude, that was bold. Like, I don't know if I could do that. I would argue it's more bold not to. Because would you rather they find out now or in three months after you've invested time and resources and travel and RFPs and all that crap? Number two, would you rather they find out from you or find out from your competitor? Number three, would you rather they find out from you or find out randomly doing their own research, right? Control the message, qualify in and out. If you're going to win, that's best. But if you're going to lose, lose fast, that's probably second best. But that's where it really all started. And that's where we started to go, all right, looking through the customer's eyes, what are they going to care about that we do great? But what are they going to care about that we don't? When they do their research, what are they going to find? What are stories they're going to find that maybe are going to concern them? Let's use that and cultivate that into that 4-2 to 4-5 type messaging and lead with it, help the buyers predict, and all the magic started happening there. So that's a bit of a longer story, but that's one example of where this really kicked off, that embrace what you give up to be great at your core, and you'll have customers that come to you, that stay, that advocate for you. They renew, they grow. Like That's where all the magic happens. Taking away from this, I'm going to have to play around with this idea. 
Um, can you give us the opposite? Can you get, can you tell us a time where either you or someone else dropped the ball on transparency and how it backfired? I'm going to tell this uh, story in a, a little bit different way to what you just asked, but it's the same outcome. So, you know, for my business today, like I teach these concepts, you know, messaging, positioning, transparent negotiating is the most popular thing I teach. I teach the leadership programs. Um, and so I was doing a workshop shop for a customer and I told this story that I got an inbound lead and the person, it was a vice president of sales for a bigger company. And he's like, Todd, we've heard great things about you. Here's what we need. We need prospecting kind of top of funnel social selling. We'd love for you to put together a program for us and blah, 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 blah. I talked through it with them and I would, and then um, once we got to a point where I'd talk about how I would approach it, here's where the transparency came in. I said, hey, listen, prop like that top of funnel stuff, I could do it. But if you made a list of the top 50 people that do that kind of training and workshopping, I think I come in at about number 47, right? Like that's, there's other people that do that so much better than me. As a matter of fact, there's two or three of them that I would love to make the connection to. You should evaluate them because I think they're the three best. Now, what happened? Well, in that instance, in that story that I tell, what happened is the guy was like, wow, that's awesome. Great. Who are those three? I would love the intros. And then what is it you do? Like, because we still want to work with you in some way. And when I started sharing that, we found opportunities for me within the account anyway. So it all worked out. But here's the funny part. When I talked about that idea of embracing that, hey, I'm not the best at this. If you want to get it from me, you can, but there's better options. Here's those options. As I was talking to this, like doing this workshop, I noticed in the chat, somebody had just wrote, no, like the longest no of all time. And so after the story, I was like, hey, uh, Sarah wrote no. Sarah, tell me about the no. Like what, what got you there? And she's like, in this economy, man, when we get our hands on an opportunity, we got to take every opportunity we can to get these deals done, right? Like we can't let that go. We And certainly we're not going to refer them to our competitors. What, are you crazy? I went into a bit of a rant that was so funny that when I left my, it was a virtual session. When I left, my wife was like, were you just yelling on that call? Like what was going on? But my rant was about this idea that, hey, listen, what I asked Sarah was, hey, when you get that deal, let's say you get the deal, and then they find that maybe there were better alternatives. Maybe they're not as satisfied as they could be. What do you do? And she's like, we manage through the dissatisfaction. Like We just do, because right now we got to grab that revenue. I'm like, Sarah, listen, for you to get that one deal, it's going to cost you four deals that you hadn't even heard about. The blowhorn by which customers are able to share their experiences has never been louder and it's not going to stop getting louder. As a matter of fact, you can go into chat GPT right now and write two questions. Number one, why shouldn't I buy from your company? And it'll put together a 300 word explanation with five bullets. And I'm considering this customer, this company as a partner for my company. Who else should I be considering? And it'll give five alternatives, right? Like you can't do this anymore. Playing the long game has never been more important. But number two is when you play the long game, it helps you win the short game too. Meaning through referrals, through upsell, through cross-sell, through your renewals being simplified, all of that happens. And so 
when I say going wrong, there's still a lot of people out there that are feeling that way, Jeff, that in this economy, we've got to grab hold of every person that's got a wallet with something in it and not let go. And my opinion is we got to do the opposite. Help the customers predict, be their partner to achieve their outcomes the best way possible, whether it's with you or with somebody else. And that trust will come around to you in the long term and in the short term. I love it. Um, I have one last final question for you, Todd. And it's basically, whenever people listen to these podcasts, they always want like a tactical takeaway, right? So like, what are one or two small things that anyone could start doing today to start implementing this philosophy? Well, I think number one is just think about how you act when you're buying something. How do you feel when somebody comes up to you and sprays nothing but five-star speak on you, right? When you're buying something online, are you one of those weirdos that reads the negative reviews first? Well, it turns out that doesn't make you a weirdo. It makes you a human being. And that's not just your brain. It's every human being's brain. And it turns out you are selling to human beings. All of our brains are wired that way. Just start with that realization and that connection that, hey, listen, I don't buy when I'm being sold. I don't buy when I'm convinced. Or if I do, I'm pissed about it 20 minutes later. I buy when I can predict. When I'm picking a restaurant or an experience or hotel that got like, I'm looking at the negative reviews first. That's what we all do. If you don't start there, nothing else is going to help, right? You've got to understand that. And then number two, just a simple thing to start cultivating your messaging around this is you know, go to Google and type in your company name reviews and then read the reviews. You'll start to get an impression of what your company looks like to those on the outside. And then that last piece is what I just talked about, like chat GPT it, right? I, I literally, I just did this for myself too, Jeff, which is kind of humbling, but I wrote like, hey, why should I hire Todd Capone to be my keynote speaker at my next sales kickoff, right? And it's says some glowing things, feel good about yourself for about a minute. And then you write in, why shouldn't I consider Todd Capone to be my next keynote speaker for our sales kickoff? And it gives a 200 word, five bullet explanation. Like, you know what? It's kind of right. And then I was like, who else should I be considering? And it gave seven names, six of which are great. One of them's horrible. We can talk about that one offline. But the point being is you can start to cultivate your opinions of what that messaging should look like just through understanding what is a customer going to find when they go do their own research. And then that last tip is, you know, we always talk about companies should do proper loss reviews. Like if you lose a deal, like really digging into why you lost. But if you're a leader, like a revenue leader of any type, Start embracing and celebrating the losses. I know that sounds crazy, and I'm not saying go develop a culture of losers, but embrace losses for not only the effort, the reps already get hit in their pocket, their quota, but for the lessons that can be learned for it. And encourage the rep to embrace maybe what they did wrong, what they didn't see, what they wish they knew then, what they know now. Because those types of learnings are how you get to a point where A, it can inform you're qualify in, qualify out early through transparency stuff. But number two is if you're learning for the, or if you're losing for the same reasons over and over again, somebody's doing something wrong and that transparency can help you lose those deals you're going to lose anyway faster. So those, those are really the three. Understand how you make decisions because you're all doing it. 
do the research, right? The Google searches, the chat GPTs, and then really start to dig into your loss analysis and uncover the reasons why and the trends around it. And that can inform your messaging and the way that you embrace and engage with your customers. Okay, well, I'm going to be spending some time on uh, ChatGPT this afternoon. That's been determined. Um, thank you so much, Todd. It was great to have you here. And uh, thank you for all the wisdom. Oh, thanks, buddy. It's great talking to you as always. And uh, yeah, don't be a stranger. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, the best way to share your gratitude is to share the show with a friend or to drop us a review on your favorite podcast app. 